Good morning. It's good to see you. You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19 and beginning in verse 1 is where we'll be as we pick up, continuing on in our series through the Gospel of Matthew. And as we've been going through this book since two Christmases ago, we've been seeing what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom of God. What life, what your life looks like when Jesus Christ is your king and how that affects every area of your life. How when Jesus is your king, how that affects your decision making. And that when Christ is your Lord, how that affects your money and your time and how you treat others. And, and when Jesus is your Messiah, your king, as we saw last week, how that, how that teaches you how to react when people sin against you. And today, Jesus is asked a question and he gives his authoritative word on marriage and divorce and remarriage. And that's what we see today in Matthew 19. And I, and I know some of us already feel uncomfortable. Just at the mention of those three words, marriage, divorce, and remarriage. This is a very personal thing. And, and I know it can feel intrusive. As I, I've heard people say before, that this is, this is too close, this is too personal, this is my inner life, my personal life. I had, you shouldn't be able to speak into that. Well, listen, um, I'm not speaking into it first. Here's what we need to remember. That Jesus, he isn't just Lord over your Sunday life. If you are a Christian, Jesus is Lord over every area of our lives. And to be a Christian is to see and to experience and to know that every department of our lives is under his new management. And, and so I, as people figured out, I was preaching on this this week, which is, I'll give you a quick insight. And so you can learn what I'm preaching. You just turn the page every week. You can see, this is coming up. This is coming up. And so uh, people knew this passage was coming up and people would joke with me and ask me like, oh man, this is a tough, tough passage you, you got to teach and deal with, you know? And I would say, in one regard, it's really not at all. Jesus is incredibly straightforward. So we're, we're going to hear from Christ clearly. This is not hard to teach, to explain. But it is hard in, in another respect that it's sensitive because everyone in this room has been affected by divorce. Either it happened to you personally, it happened to your parents growing up, it's happened to your friends. We, we are all at an age where this has happened in our lives. We've seen it happen at some point. And what I love about Christ is that he doesn't shy away from speaking about it. He does not shy away from speaking about the things that we experience and, and things that we struggle with in our lives. And he does this because he loves us. And so today, I wanna to start by saying that I know that some of us right now, we need to be comforted after what we've gone through. And Jesus is here for that. And today, some of us, it's time for us to be convicted and brought to repentance for what we've done. And the Lord Jesus is here for that too, to bring you into new life. And today, all of us need to hear and obey Jesus Christ. 
So let's listen to his words, beginning in verse one of chapter 19. If you don't have your Bible, it'll also be on the screen. And if you're able, let's stand together in honor of hearing from the Lord Jesus. So he had just finished preaching on church discipline, the parable of the unforgiving servant, 70 times seven, 19.1. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he departed from Galilee and went to the region of Judea across the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees approached him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. And he also said this, for, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked him, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and to send her away? He told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like that from the beginning. I tell you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. His disciples said to him, if the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. He responded, not everyone can accept this saying but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born that way from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who are made by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves that way because of the kingdom of heaven. And the one who is able to accept it should accept it. This is God's word. You may be seated. So the passage, the story picks up with Jesus walking toward Jerusalem. This is the grand context of the whole gospel of Matthew, of Jesus going to do what he came to do, to die on the cross for our sins and to rise again from the dead and to be our Messiah. But on his way there, the Pharisees, these are the religious scholars, the religious elite, the professional religious people, they're on their way to try and trap Jesus again. And these guys are a big deal. They're, they're a huge influence in, in Jewish culture and life. And we've seen throughout the Gospel of Matthew how they go round and round with Jesus and try to trip him up and try to test him and try to catch him. And today, they try to catch Jesus again, to test him on his view of marriage and divorce. And so we see it in verse three. Look at verse three. Notice the context of this whole meeting. Some Pharisees approached him to test him. Why are they asking this? Do they genuinely want to know what the Bible teaches? No. Are they honestly looking to learn from Jesus? No. They just want to catch him and try to discredit him. So, so here's where, where I want us to begin. Because I, I don't know your view of the Bible. I, I don't know everyone's uh, view of the scriptures and where they're at. Um, and even what you're thinking already about divorce and remarriage. So here's what I want to say. I hope you're here to honestly hear from Jesus and learn from him. And that you're not being like the Pharisees who just want to try to test him, try to hear him. And it would look like this. 
if, you, if you're here and you already have your mind made up about divorce in the remarriage question, and nothing could convince you otherwise. Uh, you hear Jesus' explanation and you don't, you don't want to hear it. You don't buy it because you already know what the text says. You already know what it's all about. Listen, you have, you have set yourself up as a Pharisee already and not a follower of Jesus. Disciples of Christ listen to Christ. Not what they think the passage says. Not what they've heard from their favorite Bible teachers. Your favorite Bible teachers have been wrong. I have been wrong. We've got to honestly come back to the passage and say, what does Jesus say? Not what you've heard from your parents, not what you heard in your church tradition growing up, but what the word of God says in his son. This is what we must arrive at this morning, to honestly hear from Jesus and not like the Pharisees. Because just like in verse three, you can see kind of this marriage culture in Israel. Can a man divorce his wife on any grounds? This is the question. Back in the first century when this was written, and just like today, marriage culture has been belittled. Um, marriage has not been maintained and fought for. And it made me think about, um, I've heard two, two stories, separate people, where I have a Toyota Tundra, where their Toyota Tundras made it to a million miles on the same engine. That's incredible. I mean, how often do you hear of cars making it 300,000 miles, 400,000 miles? Not often. Those are huge milestones. But to see trucks make it to a million, that's amazing. And they say, we had no wrecks. I took care of the car. I did the regular maintenance. We had a few minor things along the way, but we fixed them, replaced them, and still running and still going. But we've all seen the cars that were not well-maintained, that were all banged up, held together by duct tape. This is what has happened to our culture's view of marriage in the 21st century. It has not been maintained, it has been beaten up, and it's been cobbled together. Our world has belittled marriage. And even people in the church make jokes about it, like, oh, it's a ball and chain, and it's a burden. Shouldn't be desired, it's gonna change your life. And now in our culture, in the 21st century, it has been abused to the point where now nearly anyone can marry anyone or anything. It doesn't take long. You can read in the news about a woman who married the Eiffel Tower. But a woman who married herself. But a man who married a robot about another man who married a cardboard cutout of himself. I don't say those things to try to be funny or to make fun of sinners, but to just show you how our culture is so far removed from God's design and ideal for marriage. And this is what's happening in the first century too. In Matthew 19, of marriage and divorce had been so abused in that culture. You see it in verse three. So when they say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Any grounds. They are asking Jesus a loaded question. That'd be like asking, uh, so who are you gonna vote for this fall? That's a loaded question depending on what part of the country you're from. What are your views on uh, gun rights? I mean, that, these are loaded questions in anywhere in the United States. And to ask, can a man divorce his wife on any grounds? That, that is a loaded question in Israel. Because this crowd that is all hearing this, they would have known exactly the controversy and the tension point. And Matthew's audience that he wrote the Gospel of Matthew to, they would know exactly the loaded question that's being asked. And it's over the interpretation of one verse. 
and the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 24.1. This is the whole controversy. They're asking Jesus about this verse, which reads, if a man marries a woman, but she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, he may write her a divorce certificate, hand it to her, and send her away from his house. This is the whole battle, the whole tension over this verse. And this verse in the first century was being interpreted in two ways on polar opposites of each other, two different rabbinical rabbi schools. And the first one was Rabbi Shammai. And he taught this verse meant that a man may divorce his wife if some kind of indecency interpreted as immorality, sexual morality, was discovered. He, he may divorce her. On the other end, Rabbi Hillel, and this was the majority view. This was the dominant view in Israel and what was practiced. He taught that a man could divorce his wife if the indecency was anything that displeased him. And there are examples of this teaching written down in history. You can find them. A man can divorce his wife if she burnt his food. He can write her a certificate. I divorce you on the basis of Moses in Matthew 24 on Yahweh's command, get out of here. This is what's happening in Israel. A man could divorce his wife, write a certificate, send her out. If he, that what was displeasing to him was you've, you've put on a lot of weight since we've had kids. So you're out, see ya. I'm going to find somebody else. This is the culture of marriage and divorce in the nation of Israel at this point. They had totally abused Deuteronomy 24. They had totally belittled marriage and Jesus is speaking into it. And the, the Pharisees are asking, hoping that they can trap Jesus. That's why when they ask, can a man divorce on any grounds? Like burnt food? And Jesus would say, no. And they think he's going to say that. And he, they're going to go, ah, oh, look, he said no. But Deuteronomy 24.1, we got you. You're a blasphemer. You don't listen to God's word. You're not a prophet. Crucify him. Get him out of here. But Jesus doesn't fall for their trap. They zig and Jesus zags. Look at verse four. Verse four is one of my favorite responses all time from Jesus. Look at what he says to their question in verse four. Haven't you read that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? Do you know where he's quoting from? The first page of the Bible. So here's these guys testing Jesus and they say, so Jesus, what do you got? And Jesus says, so let me get this straight. You haven't read the first page of the Bible? This is, this is where we're at? You guys are the religious scholars. You guys are the scribes and you haven't even read the first page of the Bible? You haven't made it that far in your Bible reading plan? No wonder Israel's in such trouble. And then he quotes again. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, verse five, and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Where's that from? The second page of the Bible. Jesus says, you haven't even made it that far. Of course you haven't. So here's where we must begin. If we want to have a restored view of marriage in our day right now, we must do what Jesus has done right here by quoting Genesis 1, quoting Genesis 2, going back to God's design and God's ideal for marriage, and we must hear God over culture. If you want to have a right and restored view of marriage, you must hear God over culture. 
Because our culture is teaching us a million things about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, and God has his word. And Jesus goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden for his answer for how we should think about marriage. And what I love right here, Jesus is, Jesus is affirming the, his, the historicity of Adam and Eve, of God creating the world and of everyone and everything coming into existence by the power of God, that God is the creator, everything else is creation, and that he knows the design specifications. And that God's design for marriage is explicitly laid out here in Genesis and affirmed right here by Jesus that it is to be one man. I mean, we're learning about gender. We're learning about all kinds of stuff here. That it is one man and one woman united together, in verse six, making one flesh and should not be ripped apart. That's God's design and ideal for marriage. One man, one woman, united together, making one flesh, and should not be ripped apart. But the Pharisees want to twist Deuteronomy 24. And Jesus says, let's go to the beginning. Let's go to ground zero from where marriage came to be in this world. So think about that. Where did marriage come from? Was it uh, a bunch of humans come together and go, you know what we should do? I feel attracted to you. Do you feel, I, I think we should, hook, we should make this relationship official. No, this came from God. This is God's gift to the world and God's gift to us, marriage. It is the intimacy and the love, the closeness, the total uniqueness of this human relationship came straight from the mind of God and he gave it to us. As our friend Ray Orland so beautifully points out, marriage existed in the Garden of Eden before sin entered the world and we still get to experience marriage today. Marriage is a pre-fall joy that God let us keep. We didn't get to keep a lot of things that were in the garden. Tree of life, there were flaming swords and angels put to protect them from going back into the garden. That, they were kicked out from it. But marriage is like a souvenir from the Garden of Eden that you get to enjoy every day if you're married. It's a little taste of what life was like and it's a little example, too, of what it's like to be saved by Christ, to be loved by Christ. And it's a little taste of what eternity will be like to be with Christ forever. And that when, when a man and a woman are married, the Bible says in verse 5 and 6 that they become one flesh. This is the miracle math of marriage, where one plus one equals what? One. It's crazy. A husband and wife, it is unlike any other relationship on earth. So, so let me illustrate this. We all have, once you think about all of your relationships, all of your colleagues, all of your friends, um, people you don't like, think about them, all of them. And that is all on a long continuum of relationships. And on, and on the far left, you have uh, enemies, people that you just, you don't like. They're your enemy. They're, they're against you. Um, you've had battles with them, all, all that kind of stuff. And then you go down the continuum and you've got, okay, uh, like a, somebody at work that annoys me. You go further down the continuum of the relationship and you've got, um, I might answer the phone if this person calls. And then you go like down, I might text this person back in the same day. And then it is, I will text this person back on the same day. And then I work with this person, uh, ex extended family relationships. And then hopefully Christians, now, if anything over here was with Christians, you gotta repent and bring all that back over here with Christians. Brothers and sisters in Christ, church, um, people in the same small group, good friends at work, all that kind of stuff. All on this continuum of relationships. We wrongly think 
that marriage is just the final, the greatest, highest human friendship on this continuum. It is just an elevated friendship. That is how our world views marriage. What Jesus is teaching us right now about marriage is that it is not on this continuum of human relationships. It is on another plane. It is on another level altogether where one man and one woman now in this relationship have created a one flesh, a new person, a new family. And our marriage ceremonies reflect this. We try to reflect this theologically in practice. You're pouring sand together. You're exchanging vows, exchanging rings. Your families are there. Your friends are there. It's a big party. Have you ever been to a friendship ceremony? Became friends with somebody in your missional community? Became really close? You're good friends, best friends? And you go, you know what, bro? I, I think we should make this official. Like, I think we could get our families together. Uh, let's have a big party. Let's pour sand in, in front of each other. Like, no. You didn't make Facebook friend vows. That new person you followed on Instagram, did you message them and say, hey, I think we should exchange Instagram vows? Um, you know, no, we already have the terms of privacy and agreement and all that stuff. We're good. So we know this one relationship of a man and a woman together, it is unlike any other human relationship that exists, not even with our children who are from our DNA, who are from us, but they are not on this plane. They're not on this level of one man and one woman united by God into one family forever, one flesh. That's what Jesus says, one flesh. And notice, when Jesus says one flesh, it's not like you've got the man and then the woman just joins in like 1A, 1B. There's a lot of pockets of Christianity that are incredibly chauvinistic and stupid. And I, they drive me crazy. Where they say they're God-centered, but they're actually very man-centered, very masculine-centered. Whereas though the wife is just like the junior partner in the marriage. That's more satanic than it is Christian. They are one flesh together, complementing each other together. One, not one A, not one B, but united together in marriage where they're unified in all things now, committed to each other in all things. What's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. Here are our dreams, our hopes, our expectations, our money, our romance, our prayers, our plans, one and the same. And, and to care for the other person like it is yourself because it now is yourself. And do you see the miracle of marriage here too? Look at what Jesus says, verse six. So they're no longer two, but one. And since all of this is true that Jesus has said, verse six, therefore, what God has joined together, what God has joined, let no one separate. This is God's handiwork. If you're married right now, the person you're sitting next to person you rode here with, it wasn't, you were not married to them because of some algorithm on a website. You're not married to them because of some random chance meeting in college or in high school. It, was the, it, is, it is the power of God on your life. And Jesus says to all of this, don't rip it apart. What God has joined together, let no one separate. Let no one separate. That, friends, that is God's ideal. 
That's God's vision and design for marriage. Full stop. But of course we know that in this sinful world, stuff happens. Sin happens. Because God's ideal for this world was that sin would not be in it. So now when we have a pre-fall relationship, marriage, existing in a fallen world, there will be things that are relationship-quaking sins that occur in it. And before we can get into it, we must hear Jesus here, and we must hear Scripture rightly. We gotta hear Scripture rightly because the Pharisees object to Jesus. So Jesus says, what God has joined together, let no one separate. That's Jesus' answer to their question in verse three. So verse seven, look in your Bibles, verse seven, the Pharisees said, why then? So I think, I think they think they've trapped Jesus. Ah, we got him. So why then, Jesus, did Moses command, if you write in your Bible, general in that, why did Moses command us to give divorce papers and to send her away? So they're appealing to Deuteronomy 24. See, why did Moses command us then? Jesus appeals to Genesis 1 and 2. What's happening? They fundamentally misinterpreted Deuteronomy 24.1. What does Jesus tell them? Verse 8. He told them, Moses permitted. He permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like that from the beginning. He says, you guys think Moses commanded you? He didn't command you. He allowed it. He conceded it. It wasn't an expectation. It was an exception. That's not God's design. And you can see it back in Deuteronomy 24.1. Look on the screen. Man marries a woman, but she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her. He may... Not he must, not he has to write a divorce certificate and hand it to her and send her away. Jesus says, you guys misunderstood. Moses didn't command it. Moses didn't require it. He permitted it. He allowed it because we live in a sinful world. And God realizes his ideal doesn't always happen. We sin and sometimes we try and try to put things back together and they won't come back together. That's what Jesus means when he says, because of the hardness of your hearts. It's a general statement of why Moses permitted divorce back then. Because people were struggling to obey God's ideal. You had men committing polygamy. You had women being kicked out of the house, turned away. You had complete chaos running around in Israel. And Moses says, we've we've got to come up with something because women are getting steamrolled over here. We got men having multiple wives. We've got to come up with something because this house is burning down. What do we do? Just, you can, this is where you're at. You can write them a certificate and you can end it. I think really to help these women from being mistreated. And in these rare scenarios, because you would not have in the first century or in ancient Israel, you would never have. It was very rare to have a woman saying, I'm getting a divorce. That was all but guaranteeing she was gonna be taken advantage of in the culture. She's gonna be homeless. She's gonna be poor. She might have to turn to prostitution. I mean, it was all kinds of fallout. What you have in the first century is men abusing marriage. So what Jesus is alluding to with this exception, because 
Look what he says. Whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, because of the struggles of sin. Jesus says there is a break glass in case of emergency moment in marriage. But it's rare. It's very rare. You see break glass in case of emergency buttons and levers all over the place. They're in this building. They're, at, they're gonna be at a restaurant you go to after church. When you see those break glass in case of emergency things, what do you do? Do you go over there and go, oh, there's one. Psh. Every time I see it, man, I, just, I gotta break them. No, you know there is a very limited scenario where that would happen. And if we're breaking that and pulling it, things are already in a maybe beyond repairable situation because of the fallenness of this world, because of our sin, because of our sinful natures. And the place is on fire. There's a disaster occurring. We're trying to rescue it. We're trying. Really few limited scenarios where this would happen. So if we're gonna hear Jesus rightly, if we're gonna have a restored view of marriage, this is just the quick point about this. It's relevant. Make sure you interpret scripture rightly. The Pharisees are messing this up. They have misinterpreted Deuteronomy 24. Jesus calls them on it. And we are all in this exact same danger because their misunderstanding of scripture was ruining people's lives. And you can do the same thing if you're not careful. We can all do the same thing if we're not careful. If we don't study rightly, pray, seek counsel, the advice we give, the decisions we make, the fallout could ruin people's lives. All of us must be careful. We all need an explicit Christian ethic on marriage from a clear study of God's word where we leave our assumptions behind and get in the text and study, consult with others. Don't just think we know the issues at hand. Get to know the Bible for real before we cause great harm. And Jesus wants to protect everyone from that. And that's why we should close with hearing Jesus' compassion. Hearing Jesus' compassion. Look at verse nine. So Jesus says, I tell you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Uh, Jesus begins by saying, I tell you, what are the voices of authority we've heard so far? He says, you heard what Moses wrote. You heard what God said in the Garden of Eden. That's all God's word, right? And Jesus says, well, I say now too, the Son of God in flesh has a word. And he's putting his words on the same level as the Old Testament. You, you can't override that. If I did this, it'd be crazy. But Jesus does it, and it's right and true because he is God himself teaching us, helping us. And we must listen to him as he says, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So remember, who is being mistreated by this rampant divorce culture in Israel? Is it the men? No. They're the ones divorcing their wives for burning their bread or because they don't find them attractive anymore. Women are being steamrolled by a mishandling of the Bible. And Jesus says, enough, no, no more. He sticks up for the women of Israel. 
Jesus is an advocate for those who are mistreated and abused and treated like dirt, especially in the name of God. This is the ultimate taking of God's name in vain, to twist God's word to justify a sinful divorce. So Jesus says to these men, if you are divorcing because your meal was cold or because she annoyed you or because you just want to sleep with someone else, you are the ones committing adultery. You are not in the right. And that unless she committed immorality, then you are. Jesus is compassionately giving the dignity back to every woman that was wrongly divorced. And the same applies for every woman in this room. And the same applies for every man that was in this room. He he gives you your dignity back if you were wrongly divorced. Jesus reminds us what Deuteronomy 24 was teaching, that there is an instance, that indecency, that sexual immorality, where divorce could be permissible, not commanded, not required, but it could be conceded, was an exception, never desirable, because in this fallen world, sometimes circumstances and the pain, it can't be put back together. They try, and because of the hardness of all of our hearts, Jesus says, because of our human sinful condition, sometimes the, bre- the, the glass has to be broken, the lever has to be pulled. But I can tell you, I just want to speak pastorally, as one of the pastors here. In 10 years of being a pastor, I have really yet to see this unfold. I've not seen this happen. Where immorality, where adultery ripped a, a marriage apart, I've seen it get close, really close, just a few threads left. But then forgiveness and repentance and and healing begins. What did, I don't think this is a coincidence. What did Jesus teach right before this? Forgive 70 times seven. The limitless nature of God's mercy, teaching us to forgive. In a lot of instances that I've seen where there's been a marriage and adultery has rattled and quaked the marriage, 99.9% of the time, why the divorce is being pushed forward is that it's the one that committed the adultery. It's the one that committed that sin and is saying, I'm leaving. I have yet to see the one that was sinned against say, get out of here. It's been close. It's been, we're going to be separated. We need time. And that's all understandable. But 99.9% of the time, this person has said, I want to work it out. I I want us to, to make it. I want us to be restored. Now, there's lots of questions I know that you may have about divorce and remarriage and situations. And Jesus is not speaking to every situation possible. He's speaking to one about this interpretation of Deuteronomy 24.1. That's why he's not addressing everything. But the Apostle Paul, he addresses two others where a non-sinful divorce could be permissible but not desirable. One of abandonment, or your spouse leaves you, or abuse. I think abuse is inside of abandonment. All three of these instances would not make remarriage a sin. If you were sinned against, either by adultery, abuse, or abandonment, 
you are free to get remarried. Would be a non a non-sinful divorce would lead to a non-sinful remarriage. But if you're wondering, well, what about my sinful divorce? What do I do? Just like with every other sin, confess, repent, have godly sorrow. And wherever you're at right now, because I, I don't know all of your history, I know a lot, I, I don't know all of you and all of your histories and your past or even the state of your marriage right now. So hear me, don't struggle in silence. Don't struggle in silence. There is no shame in coming forward and saying, we need help. Seek help. Talk to Christian friends. If you're in a missional community every week and you lie every week and say everything's great when your marriage is by threads, repent, confess, come into the light. Seek help. We're, we're here. The church is here. You won't be judged for that. And I know you've probably got questions swirling and pastors were available to try to answer and, and give counsel. And I've been asked before, you know, if I had a sinful divorce and I got remarried, am I in an ongoing adulterous relationship? Is, is my new marriage not real? No, 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 no. You, you are not in an ongoing adulterous relationship. Jesus says you, you did commit adultery once. But it's not an ongoing adulterous relationship. Your marriage is not phony. What does Jesus say in verse nine? And marries another. He didn't say and, and shacks up with another. He didn't say and just sleeps with another and just go lives with another. He says and marries another. He does view that second marriage as a legitimate, it's, an, it's a marriage. It's not a fraud. It's not fake. So, so you're not in an ongoing adulterous I've had people ask, should I divorce the second time and try to go back and, or just leave? No, that would be to compound sin upon sin. In all of this, Jesus is elevating marriage for us, restoring it and, and protecting women who are being mistreated by their husbands and the culture. And so wherever you're at today, however you thought wrongly about marriage or you're practicing it wrongly, the Lord is inviting you to his ideal and to his vision for what your marriage is meant to be. It's a huge calling. That's why the disciples say in verse 10, look what the disciples' response is. His disciples said to him in verse 10, if this is the relationship of a man with his wife, if it's like this, it's better not to marry what are they saying? Man, Genesis 1 and 2 is the vision for marriage? Woo, it's better not to marry. That's exactly what they're saying. They sound like a bunch of stupid college kids. Man, it's better to stay single. That's how serious marriage is. That's how old these guys are. And we always think positive things about them. Like, oh man, I wonder what. No, they're saying something dumb. And that's why Jesus says to them, yeah. You're right, not everyone should get married. Because if you can't have this high view of marriage, then it's better for you to stay single. And then Jesus compounds it, makes it super spiritual and says, and some people are single, my disciples, not because they're selfish like you, but because their lives are being poured out for the kingdom of God. You have to imagine the disciples recoiled in that moment. 
Jesus just called us out on our selfishness. And Jesus just told us some people are single because they're really giving their lives for the kingdom, not because they're selfish like us. There's a lot going on here and we don't have time to get into to all of them. But listen, if you have fallen short in any of this, remember, Jesus forgives sinners. But God, God forgives adulterers. This is, there is no scarlet letter in the kingdom of God. There is no sin that has to now define you for the rest of your life. And know that God forgives unbiblical divorces. This is not something where now you've got to be identified by the rest of your life. And every time you come to church, this has to be the thing that hangs over you. And know that God forgives any sinner that comes to him in the name of Jesus, his son. That there is no unforgivable sin. There is no define you forever sin. That if you trust Christ, and if you trust his death on the cross for all of your sins, and trust his rising from the dead to give you new life, you can have a new way to live and a new future. But, but here's what we have to do. If you've gone through and you've committed adultery, or you have an unbiblical divorce, what we have to stop saying is, oh, this is a mistake. Was it a mistake? Yes, it was a mistake. But we still feel condemnation and we still feel the weight because Jesus didn't die for mistakes. Jesus died for sins. And so we have to call sin, sin, if we want to have grace poured out on us. The Lord Jesus died for sins, not for mishaps, not for bad decisions. We gotta call our sins, sins, so we can experience the grace of Christ. And Satan wants to condemn you, but the Holy Spirit wants to convict you and lead you into new life. Condemnation won't take you anywhere. It'll just crush you. But the Holy Spirit wants to bring a, a conviction that will lead to life and lead to change and will finally, and just finally lead to the comfort in Christ that you need. So you go to him and he'll receive you and he'll lead you and he'll help you and you'll find there is new life and new mercies and new hope with Christ with the one that even when we sin, he will never write a certificate and send us away. Even when we sin against him, our, our groom, as the bride of Christ, he will forgive us 70 times seven. And he will walk with us. And he will lead us to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he will lead us into eternity with him. Everlasting grace, everlasting love. So husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. And wives, respect your husbands. Love them as one, as you are one flesh together. Let no man separate. Let's pray together. King Jesus, help us. You know there's so much turmoil, not just in the world, but in your church today over marriage. Because of the hardened, nat sinful nature of our hearts. So help us, King Jesus, to recapture your vision, your design, your ideal for marriage. Give us this day, Lord, what we need.
Give us this day our daily bread to walk through the difficulties that we face. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And forgive us as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And yours is the kingdom, Lord. This is your kingdom. And so may your will for marriage be done in our marriages. May your design and your vision for marriage that came down from the kingdom of heaven, that came from your mind, would it be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help us, Lord. And thank you for being a God who saves and a God who forgives, a God who restores. And it's in your name that we pray, King Jesus. Amen.